Well, hi everyone. I'm Janet B. Recovered from compulsive eating and bulimia. Let me add my welcome to Melissa's. It's good to see y'all here tonight. And because it's a holiday weekend, and what some people hey. say, I know you're on a call. Whatever. Um, is the start of hurricane season. Um, which I figured it would be a good time to talk about relapse. So, um, remember that we see that holidays are not the cause of relapse, right? People can get through holidays abstinently. Um, and we don't want to say, well, I'll just start the day after Thanksgiving or the day after Christmas or January 1st, because that's me saying that I have power, that I can delay it. And, you know, with eight hours on my head on the pillow on December 31st, I'm going to wake up January 1st, a new person with new willingness, and it doesn't work. Um, but let's talk about relapse. So there's a common misconception that relapse is part of recovery. I've heard it that said at meetings, well, relapse is part of recovery. No, it isn't. Um, the big book doesn't say that. Um, in fact, they say it is infinitely better that our man have no relapse at all, as has been true with many of our men. So it is possible to never relapse again. Now, sometimes what we're calling relapse is just ongoing non-recovery, right? That was me for my first six and a half years in OA. I didn't get better. I might have a day, a week, not a month. I never made a month, um, a, you know, a couple of days. And like, oh, it wasn't relapse. It was just ongoing not being in recovery. So relapse is when someone makes progress in the steps and then goes backwards and backwards into the food. So remember, the only solution to compulsive eating talked about in our big book is protection by God. Page 85 says, we feel we've been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. So for compulsive eater, relapse is really the state of being like outside of God's protection. So the way I think about it is, you know, we all learned in like middle school social studies about the kings and ha he had serfs who worked the land and he was a good king. So when the invading armies would come, he would draw up the drawbridges and everyone who was on his land is safe and protected. But if we have a little rebellious serf who says, I don't need to listen to the king. I got this on my own. I want to do what I want and wanders off the king's land. Then when the invading army comes and the king has the drawbridges drawn up to protect his people, this rebellious serf is not safe and protected. Not because the king doesn't love him, but because he's run off on his own. We have a king, we have a God like that, who not only loves us, but when we run off, we'll send a search and rescue party to get us back. That's how much our God loves us. So what we want to do is we want to kind of stay on the king's land. And there are a bunch of different trails that can lead us off outside of being safe and protected. So I'm going to talk about 16 of those trails today. Um, the first one, and I'll give pages in the big book so y'all can, you know, look it up and find it. Um, one, not moving ahead quickly in the steps. We are to move ahead quickly. I mean, I've heard things like we do a step a month. That way you get through the steps in a year. 
That is ridiculous. The steps are not meant to be postponed. In fact, the only step we're allowed to postpone is step five if there's not a suitable person there. So that means when we finish a step, we should immediately start working on the next step. So that's on page 46 and page 74. Number two, um, lack of humility. Whenever we do, we agnostics, we read about the minister's son. And remember, he thought he had all the answers. He just thought, you know, everyone was wrong. But then page 56, he said, could all the religious people I've known be wrong about God? He opened it up to maybe he didn't have all the answers. And then he had a spiritual experience. So what's humility? Well, I say it's really the opposite of pride. And pride is thinking too much of myself and thinking of myself too much. And humility is the opposite. It's thinking of others more, thinking of myself less and thinking less of myself. Now, it doesn't mean I'm supposed to be a groveling worm or that I'm supposed to be dishonest and say like, I'm not as smart as anyone. Everyone's smarter than me. Everyone's prettier than me. Everyone's more talented than me. That's not humility. Um, humility is just not even thinking about if I'm smart or pretty or talented. It's just doing what God has for me to do. So lack of humility, that's going to take us off the road. Number three, and this is a big one, dishonesty. I wish someone had told me this my first meeting. What they told me was get a food plan, call your sponsor and make three, three phone calls every day. Well, that's all fine. But if I'm doing that while I'm out telling lies, I am just wasting my time, my sponsor's time and the time of those three people I have called. This program tells us on page 58, that we have to develop a manner of living built on rigorous honesty. In fact, it says that demands rigorous honesty. That means no white lies, no lies of any color whatsoever, no cheating on taxes, no cheating on husbands. We are people who have to be rigorously honest. Um, on page 73, it says dishonesty creates fear and tension. And that leads to more drinking, right? Because we want to just cover it up, bury the feelings, or as our book says in chapter two, blot out. If we live honest lives, we don't have to blot out anything. Page 146, no lying to avoid consequences, right? In the chapter to employers, it says your man, your um, you may have an employee and his wife calls saying he's sick. And you think, oh, I bet he's drunk again. And it says, no, if he's drunk, he will tell you, even if it means the loss of his job, for he knows he must be honest if he would live at all. When I was new in recovery, I'd gotten fired from a job, you know, and I went on another job interview and they asked me what happened at your last job. And I said, I quit. And I came home and I was, I mean, I was brand new in recovery, maybe, I don't know, maybe less than three months. And I just remembered my sponsor telling me no dishonesty at all. And I called back the person who interviewed me and I said, that wasn't true. I got fired from my last job because I knew 
I couldn't stay abstinent if I was dishonest. And by the way, I got the job. Um, but to me, that's not the moral of the story. The moral of the story is I didn't binge. Um, and we'll talk more about dishonesty to sponsors because that's an area where um, it's easy for us to fall into dishonesty. So we'll talk about that separately. Um, number four, not enough work and self-sacrifice for others. In Bill's story, it says how we perfect and enlarge our spiritual life, right? It says for, for if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through blank and blank, he would surely drink again. And I would think the blank and blank would be prayer and meditation, but it's not. For sure, not bashing prayer and meditation. I spend about an hour every morning in it. Um, it's amazing. It's necessary. There's a whole step devoted to it. But it says work and self-sacrifice for others. Well, how come? How come that's so important for us? Well, in chapter five, it tells us what the root of my illness is. It says selfishness and self-centeredness. That we think is the root of this illness. Now, if you think about a tree, and I actually drew a little tree in my big book and I drew the roots. The roots are under the ground, you don't see them. So I wrote selfish and self-centered, that's the root. But we see the fruits. So I put three little circles with R, F and H, resentment, fear and harm. We see the fruit. So if the roots are selfishness and self-centeredness, I need to start living the opposite. I need God's help to change, but I can't be praying, God, please help me be unselfish and then just sit on my butt all day and not do anything for anyone else. So the book says work for others, but it also says self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice by definition requires that we give something up for the welfare of another person. So I was, I spoke on a meeting another um, Saturday night and a couple of people, you know, just said like, oh, how great I was. Cause I spoke here, I spoke there and all that. And I said, hold on it, you guys like, okay, that may be work, but I love it. Melissa and I say all the time, like when people thank us or like, thank us, like, we're so grateful to have a forum to talk about this. Like, this is fun. This is not self-sacrifice. Cleaning my house. That is a self-sacrifice for me. I am so selfish in that area and so bad at it that I actually like texted Melissa this morning, here is the cleaning I'm going to do and here is when I'm going to do it. Because I would rather talk um, or go meditate than clean my refrigerator. But that's a self-sacrifice. And that's what I have to do to stay better. So we all have different things for someone who... Um, doesn't enjoy speaking the way that I do, maybe going on to a meeting and talking is a self-sacrifice. Um, we all have to, so how do we know if it's a self-sacrifice? I'm giving up something I want. We give up something we want for someone else. I've had sponsees who would drive to Target and fold clothes for 15 minutes. I have a sponsee now, she says she goes one way and then the other and you know puts on her gardening gloves and picks up trash. Like we all look to see what is a self-sacrifice for me. How much self-sacrifice do I have to do? Page 97 um, gives examples of what the founders did. Not saying that I have to do it, you have to, but this is what they did. It says, we give up sleep, 
We have our fun time and our work time interrupted. It costs money. It involves going on hospital visits, sometimes having people stay at our homes for a while. A drunk may sp smash the furniture in your home or burn a mattress. You may have to fight with a drunk if he is violent. It may involve calling police or doctors. This tells me a self-sacrifice isn't sitting in my nice air-conditioned house, or if you're up north, your heated house, making a phone call, making an outreach call you know, for five minutes and calling that a self-sacrifice. It probably isn't. Um, basically, our lives shouldn't be as easy breezy as they'd be if we weren't working this program. If we're watching as much Netflix as we want, or in the summer for me, going in the pool as much as I wanted, it means I'm not doing enough self-sacrifice. Um, number five, the fifth step out, not working hard enough or fast enough on our fourth step. And we'll probably talk about this next week. Um, that once we do our third step, the book uses some really intense language. It says we need to be launched on a course of vigorous action, right? So we have to work hard on our fourth step, not 10 minutes a day. It's okay, if we have jobs, we go to work, we take care of our families, we take care of our hygiene and you know, do some exercise for our health. And then we work on our fourth step. Like it says strenuous, vigorous effort, but what a beautiful promise because right after the third step, it says our third step could have no permanent effect. Guys, that's telling us recovery can be permanent, can have no permanent effect unless followed at once by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things that had been blocking us. Blocking us from what? Mm -mm blocking us from who? Our resentments, our fears, our defects, they block us from God. So we want to get through them quickly. You know, it's so interesting that at step two, it says, right when it says, as soon as a man says he believes or is willing to believe, he becomes, the word isn't infused, but it's, it's a word like that. He becomes infused with a, a sense of power and direction, provided he takes other simple steps. When we start this journey, we start getting power. We start getting direction. And if we keep going with the steps, we get more and more. And by the time we're done with our amends, it says we're, we're placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. The problem, the food problem has just been removed. It is a gift. So it says our recovery can be permanent if we work hard and work quickly, especially on our fourth step. Number six, not resolving resentments. So the big book is really specific in mentioning this as a pitfall. Um, it says when harboring resentments, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit, the insanity of food returns and we binge again. And with us to binge is to die. So harboring, that means being a willful, safe harbor for resentment. We're all going to get resentments. It's normal. Um, my son is home from college for Thanksgiving. I had to do a 10 step, you know, on the fact he's sitting around and not helping as much as I think he should. And then it's like, I had to resolve it. And by the way, how did I resolve it? 
once my kids are 18, their character is none of my business. And that's it. Um, so when harboring resentments, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit. Um, remember, our only selection solution is to be protected by God. So if I cut myself off from him, imagine I'm putting like a door between myself and God, I'm in trouble. Number seven, this is on page 68, not seeking to play the role that God assigns me, basically not living out my third step. If I'm not looking to play the role that God assigns me and I'm not trusting him with the results, I can't expect calamity, serenity when there's calamity. There's always going to be calamity in our lives, but it tells me that I can have serenity and stay out of the food if I look to play the role that God assigns and I trust him with the results. And also, if I'm not looking to play the role that God assigns me, then what role am I playing? Well, I'm playing the role that I assign me, which means I'm pretty much playing God and saying, God, get lost. I got this. I don't need you. And God, being the perfect gentleman, grants my requests and lets me manage my own life. And the result of that, it isn't pretty. It isn't pretty. Um, I have had enough experience of doing it that I don't want to do it. Number eight, I think this is an important one, page 70, not living up to our sex ideal and harming others. So the big book states clearly that if we fall down on our sex ideal and we're not sorry and we continue to harm others, we are quite sure to drink. But they say harming others. So I don't think this is limited to a sex ideal. I think the main point is harming others. So if I don't care if my actions hurt other people, I am going to relapse. And yes, we all make mistakes. We all do things that cause harm to people. But again, it says, if we are sorry and have the earnest desire to let God take us to better things, we believe we will be forgiven. Okay, so we have to be careful not to like willfully harm others. Number nine, page 72 and 73, not disclosing everything in our fifth step. Well, why do we even do a fifth step, right? We've heard it said like, we're sick as we're secretive. Our book says, if we skip this vital step, we may not overcome drinking. And the big book makes clear that the reason some people get drunk is they never told someone else all their life story. They therefore didn't learn the humility, fearlessness, and honesty that's required. So we we are people who cannot keep secrets. Um, when, if we do something that we feel bad about, we need to talk about it. Number 10, not paying money we owe. Page 78 says, we must lose our fear of creditors no matter how far we have to go for we're liable to drink if we are afraid to face them. And I guess I would extend this beyond paying creditors to any amend. If we're worried what someone's going to say, what someone's going to think of us, doesn't matter. And it's funny, in this step, ninth step, that's where the big book really talks about and other people in the rooms talk about, that's where so many people experience miracles, miracles of healing. You know, I had something I 
had someone in New York City I had to make an amend to. I ran into her on the street near where we both had gone to school. Like miracles of healing and forgiveness happen here. And we start feeling good about ourselves because we no longer feel that we owe anybody anything. We pay it back. There's no guilt. Number 11, once we're through the steps, page 85 says, we're in trouble if we let up on our spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. It says we, we're in trouble if we do that, that every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all our activities. So again, this is for once we finish our ninth step, although I would say at any point, if we let up on our spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels, you know, let's say someone is new and their sponsor tells her, Every day, make three phone calls and spend 30 minutes in the morning with God, trying to get a relationship with God. We can't say, well, I did it yesterday. I don't need to do it today. We can't rest on our loyal laurels. We get a one-day reprieve. What is a reprieve? A stay of execution. One day, based on that day. Um, so the book is clear. We need to keep doing 10, 11, and 12. In step 10, we clear away the wreckage of the day so that we can hear from God in step 11. I mean, we can hear from God. Um, and then in step 12, we help others. Number 12, not working intensively with other compulsive eaters. Page 89 says that nothing will so much ensure immunity as intensive work with other alcoholics, other compulsive eaters. It's the only place in the big book where we're promised immunity right? The illness can't touch us. We are protected by God. Number 13, not immediately repairing damage cause when we're inconsiderate or unhelpful. It's page 99. It says, of course, we're not always going to live up to this, but the big book says, even though we all fall much below the standard many times, the standard of patience, tolerance, kindness, love, we must try to repair the damage immediately, lest we pay the penalty by a spree. So if we do something inconsiderate and harmful, we need to you know, repair the damage immediately. So right now it's bothering my conscience that I just like said something about my son. So I'm gonna try and fix it by telling you something really good about him. He, he um, started ROTC when he started college and he just signed the papers to go into the army and serve his country. And after he finished the school to give four years of his life. So if he wants to take his Thanksgiving break after he's been working like crazy for months and lie around and play video games, shame on me for calling that boy selfish, that man selfish. Okay. Number 14, imposing on people and lack of gratitude. That's on page 149. It says the right kind of man, the kind who will recover, will not want to be made a favorite. He will not impose, far from it. He will work like the devil and thank you to his dying day. We are people who are grateful. And the first thing is um, grateful to God. Now, most of us have the apps on our phone where, you know, where we like type out our gratitudes and maybe text it to someone. That's not enough. We have to show gratitude to God. So I type them out on my app 
And then I sit there and I say, thank you, God, for, you know, my son getting home safely. Thank you, God, that, you know, my husband does this. Thank you, God, for the great weather in North Carolina. Thank you, God. And I go through and I thank him because this is about a relationship with God, not what I can text to somebody else. It's about my relationship with God. And if I don't have gratitude, then what's inevitably going to happen is I'm going to develop a complaining spirit. Nothing's ever good enough. So gratitude, so important. Number 15, and this will be important for um, this Thursday, not knowing your personal temptations and limits on page 101. It's important to know where we can't go either because we're too early on in our recovery or we're just spiritually shaky that day. And it says in this case, we work with another compulsive eater, or if we're new, we find a way to be useful and practice self-sacrifice. And I can just see all the targets all over the country on Thanksgiving afternoon, having, having us compulsive eaters going in their folding clothes because we wanna be useful. Um, most of us are gonna be with other people. We can find ways to be useful. We can be the ones watching, washing the dishes. We can be the ones, you know, watching the little kids so that the adults can have conversation, right? We can be the ones taking out the trash. So we look for ways to be useful. Um, and, you know, a large percentage of relapses happen when people go on vacation and I think on holidays. So I'm going to say for anyone who's going to, um, is shaky this Thanksgiving, we have a group meet. Darcy has put the information in the chat. I would say for people who need help, please go on it. And for people who are at home and available, post. I'm home and I'm able to take calls for the next few hours. And if you're really shaky, work out with your sponsor or a fellow that you'll like call or text every half hour, like whatever you need to do. And as our friend Roger says, another name for Thanksgiving is Thursday. It's just a day. We won't be having meeting here, but there's plenty of other meetings that'll be going on Thursday night. There's probably um, some special gratitude meetings. If anyone knows of these meetings, please throw the information in the chat. Um, you are not alone. And the day after Thanksgiving is Friday, and that is it. Um, Big temptation, as I said, often comes from traveling, page 162. So they say it's recommended to go to meetings while away in order to lend a hand and at the same time avoid certain alluring distractions of the road. Maybe if we go away, find an in-person meeting in another town. What a great way to meet people and be helpful and get help. Um, so we want to just be careful, right? A, like, a lot, a lot of relapses happen when we go on vacation. That's why we say early on, it's probably best to just keep, keep a routine, act like we're an outpatient rehab. Um, so, but again, no rules. This is something someone should work out with a sponsor. Number 16, not resigning from the debating society, having to be right about everything, politics, religion, food plans, people's values. The book tells us we have stopped fighting anybody or anything. We have to. 
it doesn't matter if I'm convinced that my values on something are right. I may be right. I may not be. It doesn't matter. You know, I've, I've resigned from the debating society and I'm a lawyer, but I've resigned from it. Um, actually, there's a 17th one, idolatry. So it's not mentioned specifically in the big book, obviously, but I believe it's implied throughout. What's idolatry? The definition is putting a person, place, or thing ahead of God. Page 55 tells us that we can block the fundamental idea of God that's in everyone. That means when God created us, he planted the fundamental idea of himself in us. But just like spirit, just like cataracts can block us from seeing things in the physical world, our idols are things that can block us in the spiritual world from realizing that there is a God. What does the book say blocks us? Calamity, pomp, and worship of other things. And those other things are our idols. So common idols, our kids, getting married, our career, success. And here's another one, not being honest with a sponsor for fear of getting dropped. That's an idol, right? Um, to, because it's putting our sponsor ahead of our relationship with God because dishonesty blocks us from God. It is better to have the, it is better to have an honest relationship with God than the world's best sponsor if we're being dishonest with that person. Um, idolatry actually blocks us from God because it puts that person or that thing on a throne. So what's the solution if we see we have idols? I mean, we all have them. I think we do the same thing we do for any other character defect. We surrender it to God, ask God to remove it and practice the opposite. So let's say we've stumbled off the reservation and are in relapse. How do we get out of relapse or help a sponsee get out of relapse? So I talked about the causes of relapse, but I wanna say just a little bit about what to do to get out of relapse. The best thing if you're in relapse is to work with a qualified sponsor so she can help you identify your pitfalls and help you to find God so he can bring you out of it because that's really the only solution. It's my opinion, and you know, plenty of people may disagree with me, but it's my opinion based on my understanding of the big book that a sponsor should not automatically drop a sponsee if the sponsee eats compulsively and should not automatically assume it's a first step problem and start over at step one. I mean, think about the person who relapses because she doesn't wanna make a hard amend. So she eats, and then gets a new sponsor who starts her all the way over at step one. She gets to step nine and eats again and keeps doing that over and over. Well, what's the solution for that person? Make that amend, right? We've just identified 17 possible causes of relapse. Like we find out what happened. Was there a lack of strenuous forward motion in the steps? Is she working hard at self-sacrifice? Is there an amend she's not willing to make? Dr. Bob said the people who relapse are those who stop having a morning quiet time. Have we stopped that? Page 35, we're told the story of Jim and it says to his consternation, meaning he was baffled about it. He found himself drunk half a dozen times in rapid succession. What happened? It says on each of these occasions, 
we worked with him reviewing carefully what had happened. So I, I believe there's only a few options. One, the person isn't willing to go to any length. Two, the person never went through the steps properly. Or three, the person let up on something and fell into one of those pits. Here are two things that don't cause relapse. Circumstance, right? We mem remember um, Jim in chapter three, he had his family assembled, he was working, everything was great, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life and he kept getting drunk. And then we think of Bill Wilson in the chapter of Vision for You. He'd gone on some business outing. It didn't go well. He was broke. He was in bad shape physically, mentally, you know, newly sober. And he ended up starting Alcoholics Anonymous. Circumstances is never the cause of relapse. And then sometimes someone will say it's because they accidentally ate a trigger food. I think the key word is accidentally, as in an honest mistake. Um, when I was new in recovery, I drank diet soda. I was drinking a diet Sprite, finished the can, and then realized it was regular Sprite. The cans looked alike. It was a 100% honest mistake. You know what happened? Nothing. I saw as soon as I realized it, I told someone what I did. You know, I didn't keep it. And that was it. I believe our solution is being protected by God. And I don't believe God would withdraw his protection for an honest mistake. Could someone possibly have cravings that last 24, 48 hours? Possibly. But then what does someone who really wants to be in recovery do? They get with someone, they say, I accidentally had something that's really triggering to me. You know, can I stay at your house for a day? Can you stay on the phone with me for two hours? And then I'll get someone else to stay on the phone with me the next two hours. We do something about it if it's an honest mistake. But if we're dishonest with our food and eat something that we know leads us to obsession or compulsion that we don't think is God's will for us, then the issue isn't the food. The issue is the dishonesty. So once the cause of relapse has been identified, then what? Well, page 120 says we redouble our spiritual activities, which means we work twice as hard on whatever step we're on. And then the book tells us how to prevent another relapse, page 120. It says, if a repetition is to be prevented, place the problem along with everything else in God's hands. What does that mean? Um, we examine all the areas where we're doing things our own way, and we begin to do them God's way to the best of our ability. We make sure we're being honest, that we're living up to our ideals, that we're cleaning up resentments and fears, that we're making amends quickly when we harm others, that we're spending time in prayer and meditation. Why prayer and meditation? Because then we are on the receiving end of God's loving, never-ceasing power. And then we're able to help others in step 12, find and like hopefully fall in love with this God who supplies us with all the power and protection we need. And I believe that's just his opening act. Removing our food obsession is just like act one. Um, they say, if a repetition is to be prevented, place the problem along with everything else in God's hands. I mean, I think those words are pretty awesome. Awesome place the problem along with everything else in God's hands. It's like, man, God must have some pretty big hands. And he does like big enough to solve all our problems 
of course, our food problem. So the antidote to relapse and the key to ongoing recovery, I think can all be summed up by a sentence on page 59. There is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him now. And may we all find him and be grateful for all he's done for us on Thursday, which my sponsor calls Happy Gratitude Day. And happy gratitude day to you all.